Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 100,000 deaths. 100,000 deaths. And at least 35,000 to 50,000 were avoidable. But for uh, lack of attention and ego, I think. I'm usually the, the last one to leave a, an event, but um, I hope to be able to do more, but we're going to do it by the numbers because this is not over. Former Vice President Biden saying that the pandemic is far from over. This as the campaign for president heats up. Hi, everyone. I'm CNN correspondent Kristen Holmes in for David Chalian, and this is The Daily D.C. While overall 2020 campaign events are on hold, the coronavirus pandemic has really created these new flashpoints for our already very divided country. You know, instead of talking about taxes or immigration, you're seeing these candidates sparring over issues like economic shutdowns and wearing masks. But President Trump has had one big advantage, which is that he has the microphone of his office, while Vice President Biden has been confined to his home in Delaware. But Biden is slowly emerging, and as you heard earlier, he spoke with my colleague, CNN's chief political correspondent, Dana Bash, in his first sit-down, socially distanced, of course, interview since the pandemic began here in the U.S. So joining me now to discuss more about her interview with Joe Biden is Dana Bash. And listeners, you are very lucky. She is one of the best in the business and first time doing this with me. So Dana, thanks so much for being here. I'm so glad to be here and back at you. This is fun. So I just want to start with not the content of the interview, but the interview itself. And I promise I'll get to content. Just how weird was this interview? I mean, you drove up to Delaware Mm -hmm. and you did this interview outside of his house. You're 12 Mm -hmm. feet apart. You're not really interacting closely with the crew. I mean, you've done a lot of these big interviews over the years, but I assume none like this. Walk me through it a little bit. This was absolutely the most bizarre um, on so many levels. First of all, yeah, we were at the vice president's house, which was very gracious uh, of him to invite us there. But, you know, if he wanted to do an in-person interview, which it's been two and a half months since he has had any in-person interaction uh, such as this, he didn't really have a choice uh, because he is following the Delaware rules as a resident of Delaware. And he made that clear to me that uh, the governor still has a stay-at-home order in place and therefore he is doing just that. So we got there and we, you know, had a very small footprint. We had very few people. It was myself, the producer with me, who, full disclosure, is a fantastic producer, Noah Gray, who happens to be Kristen Holmes' new husband. (laughs) So yes. It's true. And I will say he is fantastic. (laughs) He is fantastic. So that is a dream team, but that's for a whole nother podcast. And then it was uh, two of our 
you know, A-team uh, photojournalists, Jay McMichael and Chris Turner. And uh, we just made it work. And we sat outside by the fence in the small area that we were designated to sit. We all wore masks. We had all of our hand sanitizer and our Clorox wipes there to wipe all of the equipment down. And, you know, it's basically how all of us who venture outside have learned to live our lives, which is with extreme caution. The stakes were much higher because we were dealing with the former vice president and the presumptive Democratic nominee. But it was pretty clear he was he's a, he's a people person. Uh, and it was pretty clear he was very happy to see people other than the ones he has been seeing uh, day in and day out for two and a half months. So obviously you're a professional, but I do have to ask, was it hard not to yell at him across the 12 feet because you were very calm and very level-toned, but I was thinking to myself, if that was me, I'd be shouting. You know what? A little, but it was so quiet. It was actually so idyllic because it was a beautiful day. We got very lucky. It was so quiet that it wasn't that bad, but it does change the dynamic to do an interview. I mean, an in-person interview, usually you're much closer and Part of the beauty of an in-person interview, as you know, because you've you know done them as well, is that you you kind of get into a rhythm of a conversation like humans. And being further apart changes a little bit. I mean, I've covered him for a long time. He's done like a bazillion interviews in his life. So I think that helped that there was sort of some natural comfort there, but it did change things. That's a good question. Yeah, it certainly takes the intimacy out of it. And as promised, I'm going to talk about the content (laughs) now. I want to ask about one of the major flashpoints from your interview. You know, you asked Vice President Biden about President Trump mocking him for wearing a mask. And we, of course, know that really part of President Trump's issue with masks is this idea that, you know, he doesn't want to look like he's wearing a mask. He thinks it doesn't look good on his image. What did the vice president or former vice president say about that? Well, you know, I sat down with him just a few hours after the president tweeted or retweeted uh, a tweet with a photo of Joe Biden wearing a mask, clearly mocking the way he looked. So the vice president actually came unsolicited and the first answer came out with the fact that he knows that people are making fun of him. And I said, well, it's not just people, it's your opponent, it's the president. And I asked him whether or not he understands where Trump is coming from that a mask makes people look weak or not. And here's what his response was. He's a fool, an absolute fool to talk that way. I mean, every leading doc in the world is saying we should wear a mask when you're in a crowd. It's just absolutely, this this macho stuff, it's cost people's lives. It's costing people's lives. And like I said, we're almost 100,000 dead today. 100,000 people. So, you know, and I want to point out here because a couple of things have happened since you did the interview. I mean, we even heard from Dr. Fauci today, one of the task force members, talking about this mask. Mm-hmm. So it's not just at this point Biden versus Trump. Not it's, at it's all. It's really becoming medical experts as well, which you hear uh, Biden saying there. And I want to touch on something you said, you know, about this retweet, because I think Twitter is going to be a very big part 
of this election. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly with President Trump. And a bit of news happened after your interview, mm-hmm. of course, because at this point we're basically in a one-hour news cycle. <laughs> um, President Trump went after Twitter for fact-checking his tweet on mail-in voting. And he wrote in part, Twitter is now interfering in the 2020 presidential election. Twitter is completely stifling free speech, and I, as president, will not allow it to happen. So you had asked Biden about the president's Twitter statements. What did he say? Yeah, I mean, the reason I asked him is because the president's Twitter feed, even by his standards, had gotten so outlandish, even in the 24, 48 hours before we sat down, suggesting that Joe Scarborough committed murder, among other things. And so I asked him whether or not the president should be punished and whether Twitter and other social media companies should take action. Here's what he said. I'm of the view that social media companies have to re-examine whether or not, for example, if you put something out saying that uh, uh, that same outlandish thing that uh, um, the president thinks a, a talk show host on a cable committed murder, I mean, you'd say there's no evidence for that at all. Zero. So should no- Twitter... do something? Should they take action? I think they should. I think they should say when things are patently not true, they should say so. So Twitter did take action, not action um, along the lines of the tweet that former vice president brought up. They were very focused on the president's tweet on voting, on mail-in voting, which is incredibly important when it comes to democracy because he's tweeting false information about the fraud that he claims comes with mail-in voting, which there's no study that shows that, in fact, just the opposite. But still, it was a big step by Twitter. And I was actually thinking when I was sitting there with the former vice president, like, wow, the president's going to go crazy when he hears his opponent calling on Twitter to take action on him. And by the time I got back from Delaware, that's exactly what they had done. Yeah. And I think this is going to This is a big deal for several reasons, particularly because President Trump himself is always on Twitter and he often is putting things forward that are untrue. Mm -hmm. So if Twitter is going to continue this fact checking, his tweets are going to look very different. And, you know, the president out there this morning, he said there would be big action on Twitter. He said, quote, we will strongly regulate or close them down. Now, as you and I know from covering the president, the idea that President Trump would close down Twitter seems very unlikely, given that he thinks it's the best way to reach his base. But what could be an outcome of this? I mean, how would this impact the campaign? We are in uncharted territory because... Social media is self-policed and has been self-policed and maybe should stay self-policed if you think of them as a media outlet for the most part. But they've taken a lot of criticism because they have become the platform of choice, not just for the president, but others who send out information that is not just false, but really detrimental to society and personally to people. So the fact that they're taking action, at least a baby step, is noteworthy. Politically speaking, I'm sure you would agree with this, Kristen, because you have covered the president. This is like gold for him because what does he crave more than anything else? He craves foils whom he can use as examples for his base and others who are willing to listen that they're out to get him slash us and us being 
Trump world, people who support the president. And this is a perfect example of a big company trying to stifle what I'm trying to say just because they don't agree with what I'm trying to say. And the campaign was prepared for this. I interviewed the campaign manager, Brad Parscale, uh, last month, I believe it was, when they rolled out a brand new app. And part of their app, the Trump campaign has a whole section for social media. And Parscale told me that they did that in the event that Twitter and other social media companies start to, in his word, censor the president so that they could have their own outlet. So this is something that they have been They don't want to be censored, but it's something that they really believe that they can try to use to their advantage politically because of who his base is. Yeah, that's fascinating. I actually hadn't thought of that angle, this idea, you know, the elites of Silicon Valley are trying to stifle our message. And and that's the liberals in Silicon Valley is what they're saying. Right. And it it makes perfect sense for for Mm -hmm. the campaign. And with that, we'll have more Dana Bash on her Biden interview in a few moments. And we're back with CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash. So on the black voter issue, because I think this was really Mm -hmm. important, I think a lot of people were waiting to hear from former vice president on this. You asked him about his recent controversial remarks. Did he back off those comments at all? Yes, he did. Uh, The controversial remarks you're referring to is when he gave an interview last week to The Breakfast Club, Charlemagne, and uh, he said something to effect of, if you're a Trump supporter, you ain't black. And he immediately said that those were not you know, th- those were not proper words that he, you know, he shouldn't have said that, but he didn't apologize until I spoke to him on Tuesday. It was a mistake, number one. And I was smiling when he asked me the question. I was, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy with it. It was a mistake. I have never taken the African-American community for granted. Never, never, never once. And I've had overwhelming support in my state and have overwhelming support from the African-American community in my whole career. But I have never taken it for granted. I work like the devil for it, and I have to earn it every single time. So you hear him there apologizing, and you actually followed up with this, and I found this to be very interesting because it's something that we hear a lot from Democrats who don't think that Biden is strong enough to go up against Trump. They think Mm -hmm. that he is too weak, that he shouldn't be apologizing. And you asked him about that, if there was some sort of double standard that forces him to apologize, but lets President Trump get away with saying these outlandish things like we've been talking about, what he's been Mm -hmm. doing on Twitter all week. What did Biden say about that? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. There is a whole debate because how do you compete against somebody who, let's face it, doesn't have shame <laughs> and can say things without feeling that the need or compelled to say sorry if they are wrong or if they hurt somebody. So I wanted to really get philosophical, which we don't always have the chance and the time to do with presidential candidates, get philosophical about the notion of apologizing and how does the former vice president compete with somebody like the president. Here's what he said. No, I'm never going to stoop to where he is. I'm not going to do what he does. He says so many outrageous things. And uh, to uh, usually divide, separate. uh, When I say something that is understandably in retrospect offensive to someone and legitimately offensive, making it look like taking granted, I should apologize. 
I don't apologize for every mistake I make because a lot of them don't have any consequence. I mean, the, the point I was making is, and I said this to his face, like, you say dumb things. Now, we're all human. We all have the tendency to say things that we don't mean or regret. Joe Biden, as he says with a laugh, the good news is people know him. The bad news is people know him. And this is one of the things that they know about him. And so this is just the way that he has to navigate this going forward is still uh, a work in progress. It's pretty clear. Yeah, and I've got to wonder if somehow authenticity is going to be an aid for Joe Biden Mm -hmm. because, you know, throughout his life, we've been covering him now for decades. He's never been someone who's going to be as brash and unapologetic as Donald Trump. But the one thing that Donald Trump also is, is completely authentically himself, or this persona at least, that he's developed for Mm -hmm. himself that he feels completely comfortable in. And so it'll be interesting to see if Joe Biden's own authenticity, which as you say, you know, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of mistakes there. There's a lot of fumbling, if that will actually help him in that. Um, But I want to quickly turn to vice president stuff, because this is the fun stuff that everyone wants to talk about. And you talked to Biden about this. Uh, You asked him if he would commit to picking a woman of color. You told me in the last debate that you would pick a woman as your running mate. Will that woman be a woman of color? Look, I'm not going to get into that now because we haven't gotten there yet. There are women of color under consideration. And the background uh, checks happening already? Not yet. Is the vetting started formally? Well, I'm not going to get into the detail, but let me put it this way. The the four-person commission that I put in charge, they have interviewed a lot of these people already. Kristen, I know you have tried to ask questions like this, and I have as well. I was actually surprised at how much he said out loud. I really thought I would get nowhere with him. And the fact that he even said that vetting has started in the initial sense, at least, that his four-person commission has started to talk to the candidates. That was really interesting. You know, we'll see where we go. He was very, the answer to the question, and you heard, he very much sidestepped the question about whether or not it would be okay for an all-white ticket, meaning if he picked a woman who was not a woman of color. And he made mention of the fact that Jim Clyburn, congressman from South Carolina, who really, he owes his his political status right now to because he helped him win South Carolina and ultimately become the presumptive nominee. Clyburn said that he doesn't think that Biden needs to pick someone of color. And Biden made sure to tell me that, which I thought was, was very interesting. But again, we are in a pandemic. And in some ways, this may make it easier for him to talk to people because, you know, people aren't out and about and maybe you can sneak them out to his lawn and, and that he can do an interview without very many people noticing. On the other hand, one of the ways that presidential candidates have been able to pick their running mate is how they feel at rallies with them and on the campaign tour. Remember Hillary Clinton, she had a very public tryout and she felt most comfortable with Tim Kaine. And so that is going to be interesting to think. The one big difference is that Joe Biden has been through this on the other side. So he's keenly aware of how it works and what he wants in 
kind of the, the feel for how he gets along both on a policy level and a personal level with the person, with the woman he picks. Well, and that's also why those rallies are important or those election events is how are we going to work together? Are you going to be in charge? Am I in charge? Do you put me first? I mean, those are all those power dynamics that are hard to see if you're just sitting in an interview one-on-one, but much easier to see when they're actually in play. But mm-hmm. obviously he didn't give you a list of anyone he was considering, but who are you hearing is possibly in contention to be Biden's running mate? Is there a front runner at this point? There might be, but I don't know that there is one. I mean, we know the names of people who have publicly said that they've gotten, uh, they've been contacted. Val Demings, a congresswoman from Florida. Kamala Harris is apparently on on that list. Amy Klobuchar and uh, Elizabeth Warren is seriously being considered. But we don't know. Um, you know, maybe there's a dark horse. Tammy Duckworth and Joe Biden wrote an op-ed today together uh, about Asian Americans and protecting Asian Americans. I mean, she is a decorated war veteran who's a U.S. senator who is the first sitting senator to give birth while in office. I mean, I can't think of a better story than that. Can you? No, and honestly, beef steaks are some of my favorite stories because, you know, know, especially when there's like a a last minute change. I know, but it's a reporter. It's so frustrating. It right? is, yeah. Because like, there's only one person who knows and really, really knows. And then when they know, everybody knows at some point. We'll be watching, obviously, covering it very closely. And Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, it was so much fun to talk to you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people like you find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.